Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guest to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to get rid of from their life, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the actor, best known for playing Dominic Copeland in Holby City from 2013 to 2022, David Ames. David's Holby character, Dom, was billed as complicated, unpredictable and deliciously wicked. And David, too, told Lorraine Kelly that Dominic is a very complex character and he has a lot to prove and he doesn't really hold back on how he goes about doing that. David has also appeared on TV in He Kills Coppers with Rafe Spall, the first Doctor Who episode to be filmed in HD, Planet of the Dead, which featured David Tennant as Doctor Who, and also featured Lee Evans. And David has recently appeared on stage in the title role of Steve at the Seven Dials Playhouse and as Tim in Horseplay at the Riverside Studios in London. So what are the things that David Ames really cherishes and would like to put in his time capsule? And what's the one thing he'd want to bury and forget? Well, let's find out, shall we? Here is David Ames. Hello. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Very good. You're looking very good. Oh, thank you. Well, always. Always (laughs) beautifully presented. Oh, bless this old thing. I try, I try. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lovely of you to do this. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Les was um, raving about it while we were filming in Malta last year. Oh, yeah. Raving about it and said, oh, you must do it. You must, like, and then, yes. Yeah. I was like, fabulous. (laughs) Brilliant. Very lovely. He's such a sweet man, Les. He really is. He's such a very, he's a very kind, very talented man. So mm. I was there filming with Sally Lindsay and she was just like, oh, Les is lovely. Oh, you you love Les. And he's he's such a lovely chap and he's so good. And he, he arrived and he was everything she said he was. And he was just yeah. such a sweet, funny man. So yeah, no, it was great. Well, it's always those people, isn't it? Lovely people. Sally Lindsay is famous for being one of the most delightful yes. people to work with. Absolutely. I mean, I've never worked with her, but everybody I know who's worked with her says, oh, she's a diamond. Oh, she really is. She couldn't do enough for you. And she's she's not only sort of a sort of a great colleague, so to speak, but she's an absolutely gorgeous friend. She really is. She's the sweetest. Lovely. Those things make it so easy, don't they? If you go into anything like that and it feels, well, first of all, competitive, which you're under pressure all the time, or you feel that, oh, you've got a much bigger part than me, therefore I should just shut up. 
Yeah. <laughs> completely. Completely. Not something I'm very good at, but uh. <laughs> no, she's she's wonderful and kind of you know sharing and and just sort of uh, what we worked on was Madame Blanc and you know she did kind of joke about the fact that it's lovely to be able to exec produce write and star in something because you can get your mates in it and I was like well. <laughs> Call it what it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> everyone does that. But at the same time, it's just lovely. You've got a mate who not only thinks you can, you know, you're talented, but they also are like, I'll get you in that. Like, we'll do something together. And it's lovely. Mm. It's great. I've definitely learned in this industry to never kind of ask for it either, you know, n- never be like, oh, please, please. Because you don't want that awkward moment in the friendship if suddenly they go, <laughs> those excuses they have to come up with oh you'd be perfect if only it was your age we were looking for exactly just a few years out and you know (laughs) (laughs) and then it becomes that brilliant scene from Tootsie do you remember that scene in Tootsie where he's talking to his agent and they keep saying you know they wanted someone older he said I can play older and they said well sort of you know fatter I I can get fatter you know you know we want somebody (laughs) taller I I can wear lifts I can I can do that you know he says well they want somebody they want somebody else yeah <laughs> i love that film so much oh it's a beautiful film isn't it that and mrs doubtfire i, I mean just along the same lines mrs doubtfire is the film that made me want to act really yeah yeah. yeah, that's coming into the West End as a musical. I know. My friend Marcus Collins is in it. Ah. So he plays Aunt Jack from the, you know, the famous scene where he goes to see um, Harvey Fierstein. Mm. And he goes, you make me a woman. Oh, honey, I'm so happy. <laughs> and he comes in and it's, yeah, and it's just wonderful. I think it was the ability of Robin Williams to make me howl with laughter, but that final scene where he just says, you know, um, to um, Katie McCormick, Katie McCormick, hmm. my mummy and daddy aren't together anymore. And then she go, he goes on. And I just ended up at an early age going, I feel really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and under, not knowing why. And I was like, oh, I feel quite teary. <laughs> and that's it's what made me go, yes, this is what I want to do. Beautiful actor. Such a sad life, really. Absolutely. Such an amazing life, but sad. Yeah. And I know people have done improv with him and things like that and just said that he was an amazing, astonishing brain. Yes. It worked so quickly. Ah. Oh. It's like he didn't need all the cocaine in the early nineties. To be honest, you know what I mean. He, he was working. He was working double the speed of anyone else as it was. That's yes, fine. <laughs> then all of a sudden, ramp that up a level and a bit of sweat. No, no, slow down, slow down. <laughs> exactly, he's moving faster than our eyes can actually function. <laughs> yeah, you could hear that in the genie in Aladdin, can't you? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, somebody once told me, and I don't know if this is true, but apparently Aladdin couldn't go up for best original screenplay because he had ad-libbed so much and it wasn't effectively written. Most of his stuff was him just going, you know, Aladdin, is it a bit like, laddie, or like, here, here, boy, all of that. Um, Him riffing, they just kind of let him do his thing. Mm. You know, that's what you got, which I think is why I don't think the genie in the live action remake of, of Will Smith did as well, because it just wasn't the same. It's just not. No. You know well, I mean? you're never going to compete with that. I think you have no. to do something else, don't you? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you can't compete with him. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, John O'Farrell, I think, has written a book for Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard great things. Um, this friend of mine went to see it when it was in Manchester and just said it was, it was so fun. Oh, brilliant. But I was just like, oh, I can't wait. I'm very excited. <laughs> no, I'm very jealous. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you sing? Have you done musicals? Um, unfortunately not. No. Uh, well, just say that. I was talking to um, Gok the other day and he said to me, he was like, you've got to start, like, just get out there. Because I was just saying, oh, you know, I've actually, you know, last year I had quite a fair amount of work and then it's kind of quietened down over Christmas as it naturally does, you know. Mm-hmm. He was like, get some singing lessons, go, well, you've got the time, go and do that. And he always pains him to give me a compliment. He was like, listen, I've heard you sing a little bit and it sounds like you could be an all right singer. And I was like, oh, (laughs) he was like, no, don't quote me on it because I'll deny it if anyone else asks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know, that's often the case. I think a lot of people Mm. who say, well, I don't really, I can't, you know, I I never have. Yeah. That actually it's very rare for somebody not to be able to sing and actually Quite often actors, because you can project, yes. you can use all those vocal abilities that you've got, and that ought to work in singing, really. Exactly. It's just that you've not trained yourself to do it. No, exactly. So, so yeah, I think I will try that, but I definitely can't dance. 
So <laughs> I, I would be, I'd, I'd never make the triple threat. Unfortunately, I've got four <laughs> feet. It's it's like watching a spider try and get out of a wet bath, and it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. with you on that. I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell you the hours and hours and days of my life where I've just been standing the same. So, what was the first step? Yeah. Absolutely. Over and over again. Can you just do that bit again? Can you, and, then, <laughs> and I just, for whatever reason, my brain is going, yeah, you've got it. But I'm like, I look like I'm having a seizure and it's, it's, <laughs> never, it's never great. You know, my friends just sort of stare at me. I mean, Gok is again, he, I was in his kitchen with him once and he's massively into music. He's got great rhythm. And he was just going, right, so just do this. Like one, two, three, one, two. And I was doing it. And he was like, why are you off the beat? He's like, I've made it really simple and you're still off the beat. I was like, I'm trying. But my brain and my eyes and my head was just like, it just, honestly, it was dreadful. I, there's just something, I, I'm missing that chip. Yeah. You know, if I could change something, I'd put, I, you know, like Matrix style, plug in something and then learn Kung Fu. I'd, I'd put in dancing. I'd be like, get bloody rhythm. That's Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to brain. just go, yeah, I've got it. It's easy. Yeah. Show me once and I'll do it. Download the files. But then that may be dedication. That may be those people, they sat down and learnt it. It could be. People with patience and time. (laughs) Okay, I've got you sussed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Join the club. I never thought I'm out of time, but I've just got not got the patience. If I can't learn it within four days, then I'm not not interested. (laughs) Well... That can't be true. No, I, I, I mean, I say that, but I don't like being a novice at things. I like knowing things. Yeah, it's yeah. that journey. I just like to miss that bit out and go straight yes. to being good at it. But you're not averse to hard work if you did that long in Holby City. Well, there you go. Because that is hard work. For people like me who, who dip in and out of these things, when you do them, you come to the end of your week or your fortnight or maybe, you know, a month, you go, oh, thank God, oh, I need a rest. <laughs> I need to lie down. Absolutely. Like friends of mine, I mean, my family, my family are all farmers, mm-hmm. farm folks. So during the summer, my brother doesn't stop doing harvest. You know, he's working from sun up to sundown. It's all graft. It's all, you know, hands on deck. It's all manual labor. So me pretending to be someone else and playing dress up five days a week, <laughs> honestly, to them, they're just like, oh, did somebody get your coffee wrong today? Is that as bad as your day's been? Or could you not remember a word? Oh, oh no, like, they didn't drive you there in a BMW, did yeah. they? How awful. Oh, God, you had to wait around in your warm dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so unfair. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think people never kind of realised, you know, for the, for the regulars on Holby, it was long days. It was long weeks. You know, if you had a big block of episodes where you had a heavy storyline, mm. you could do maybe two to three months of Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. And then in the evenings, you're learning your lines for the following day. Over the weekend, you've got another two scripts come through. So you're going through those. And and it does. It, it You get to the end of it and you're a little bit like, huh. Mm. You know, you feel quite sort of shell shocked. You're like, I need a bit of a break, just a week away. And yeah. but um also you can't add lip medical jargon. You can't make it up. <laughs> you get your lines, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, oh my somebody God. goes, you need FBC, U and E's, LFT, and then you know, and you get it all wrong and you're going, I need SOS, the RAC, I need TFL. And no, you can't. It's disgruntled from Helmer Hempstead or write and go, You can't do that. I, I noticed the other day that he did this and he said this, and that's wrong. And you can't yeah. take that that quickly. <laughs> no, they do, don't they? Yeah. They're always watching out for that. They really are. And we're like, it's artistic license. We can't spend the whole episode doing otherwise you spend the whole episode in the waiting room as the way the poor NHS. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna take your post now. There will be a long, long pause while I do it. <laughs> sit outside in an ambulance for four hours. You know, it's a really crap episode. It'll be really- <laughs> uh, I remember seeing the panic on people's faces years ago doing casualty, the first time I did casualty, and just people would say who's got the walk from the ambulance to the uh, listing everything off he's got this 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 yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely we used to get those ones and you'd be pushing a trolley down from one end of the ward to the other so you're there you're going over your sides you're going okay so uh, he's been found he's tachycardic it's this that and the other and it's a road traffic accident and this that and inevitably inevitably you'd be flying along like and then you'd get right to the end and then you'd fuck it right at the end (laughs) that would be that everyone just looks at you like Okay, back to first positions, guys. Uh, <laughs> You're just like, no, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I admire what you've done, I have Thank to say. Well done. Thank and you. did you have fun doing horseplay? 
I did indeed. Mm. Yes, it was great fun. I mean, you know, it made me realize I might have put on a few pounds over the summer due to the fact I was wearing yellow spandex uh, for every show. So that was uh, it was quite unforgiving. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, but no, it was great fun. So, uh, you know, last year was was great for getting back into theater for me. I did horseplay and then uh, I did a play called Steve, which opened the Seven Dials Playhouse. But that was straight literally off the back of finishing Holby. So I had two weeks and then straight into into that, which was actually really great. And I meant I didn't have much time to mourn and, Mm. you know, I'm at work now, what to do? And instead I was like, okay, keep going. No, but it must have felt a bit like a grieving period, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big part of your life. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, talking of lives... Uh, we're now going to hear the five things that you've chosen from it Mm -hmm. that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Indeed. Well, I will give you my first one. I mean, it's indicative of just, I think, our industry. But um, And I haven't even told him I'm going to say this, but my friend Dan Lambden, who, unbeknownst to him, has been sort of inextricably linked to me throughout my life, but also is kind of responsible for me getting an agent. So basically, uh, my aunt used to live in a place called Eastleigh down in Winchester, Mm -hmm. and I grew up in Winchester. And I didn't realize she used to live in a little place sort of called Fair Oak around that area. And she lived next to a young guy called Dan Lambden, a a young boy who was a few years younger than me. And I played with him occasionally when I was, uh, you know, a young boy and I'd go around my aunt's house. Cut to many years later. I then met Dan at Roehampton University. So when I moved back to London after going to university myself at Middlesex University, I worked for a friend who uh, ran the bars there. So I used to work behind there as a bit of cash and, you know, just kind of trying to find my way back into London life. Mm -hmm. I met this guy there and he said, I'm Dan Landon. Um, I know your cousin, Carly. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's strange. How wonderful. But it also turns out that back in around 2005, I met in Winchester, I met a guy who was a director and he was putting on a production of a play by Mark Ravenhill called Citizenship. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the last minute, he phoned me and he went, listen, like one of the guys has dropped out. He can't do it anymore. Um, would you come and do this production? Um, it's like a little part just right at the end. Basically, if you can come in and like do a very sort of quick rehearsal with us, and then we're basically on tours of next week, going to Brighton, then we're doing German Street Theatre. And, and I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> sure. Yes. What a great thing, you know. So I went and did it. And it was through that that I met a producer who then, when I moved to London, contacted me and said, I'm doing a script read for a play called Love and Human Remains, and we're going to do a a script read of it at the Arcola Theatre. I had no agent at this point. And it was from that that a wonderful actress called Lucianne Holmes said to me one day near the end of the run, she went, I've recommended you to my agent. So he's coming to see it, so drop him a message. Mm -hmm. And I did, and that's the agent I'm still with now. Now, the guy that dropped out of the original production was Dan Lambden. (laughs) <laughs> so it all it's it's in a way it's kind of summing up that's something i love about this industry is so often it's that one little moment that's it's happening to go to that pub that night and meeting this other guy who then we exchange numbers and him saying actually you yes come and do and how it's all inextricably linked sometimes and one tiny little thing can be this catalyst to lead where mm. you wanted to be. And Dan and I are still friends to this day. And we we still uh, meet up and hang out. And yeah, he's still part of my my friendship group. So that I think is just something I love about this industry. And that's kind of, if I could sort of wrap that up and that's, that's mm. right people, right time. Yeah, those sliding door moments yes. are extraordinary, aren't they? But they can work both ways. Yeah. I mean, they can work for you. Yeah. That was the right thing for you. But also I should imagine the right thing for, for Dan. Well, exactly. Mm. So it's it's such a bizarre thing. It's I just I find it so wonderful when that happens. That kind of you know I, I had a day it was about a month ago or so, and that day I just kept bumping into people I knew, but in random places in London. I happened to be sort of going all over the place that day to go and do errands and things. And I was in Vauxhall, and I bumped into Claire Burt, who I did Holby with. Mm-hmm. And then later on that day, I was waiting for a bus down at the bottom of the hill, and I turned around and I was stood next to Gemma Redgrave. <gasps> Uh, do you know what I mean? And you know when you go, oh, this is just one of those days. It's right place, right time moments. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but I do kind of believe in little moments like that. That kind of it kind of reminds you that yeah, you're in the right place at the right time, and there's like a friendly face there, and you go, oh, okay, that's you know. Well, also the the work you will have done before that, not necessarily work, but the yes. the effect that you've had on people before that 
when you bump into those people, they're glad to see you rather than, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're not hiding around the other side of the bus shelter. Big newspaper in front of their <laughs> <Indeed>. face. <laughs> Which is true for some people, you know. Oh, absolutely. And so the fact that they go, oh, brilliant, there you are. Yes. You know. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, oh, sorry, can't stop running in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. And you earn that right. You earn that right through the way you behave with people, I think. I th- do you know what? I think you do. I really do think you do. I think, especially sort of within the entertainment industry, when I first got into it, you heard of these people who were quite haughty and and gruff and, and would be quite rude and how they then get on further. And actually, what I've learned, the nicer you are, the, the, the better experience you have, because everyone remembers this shit mm. from the makeup artist to the art director, from everyone that you interact with, whether it's in theatre, radio, TV, like whatever it is. You know, people get an impression of you and it's it doesn't cost to be nice. No. And you never know where those people are going to go either. That's the point. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You know, that that runner might be, end up becoming an exec. Yeah. I did a film where the lead actress was actually somebody who'd been one of the children dancing in a pantomime. Oh, wow. In Oxford. And she was the lead actress in this film, Gugu Mbatha Ra. She's a fantastic actress. Oh, see? And I said to her, oh, was I nice to you? She said, if you hadn't been, you wouldn't be in this. <laughs> but that's exactly it. Yeah. It's 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 a wonderful thing. Like the exec of Hobby City and Casualty for a period of time um started out as a runner on the show. Yeah. So sort of see how trajectories can happen over the course of 10, 15 years or however long it took, you know, people will remember that. Yes, indeed. And they will remember being the person who was, you know, somebody clicked their fingers at them and shouted, get my coffee. Yeah, exactly. Or where is my car? <laughs> Which of course you're famous for. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless him. Bless Dan. It's lovely that you're still friends and close. Yeah, we're still part of a sort of a wonderful friendship group and still very close. And it just, it's something I love about just people and existences. And, you know, you suddenly, working on Holby, I um I started out and I was immediately paired up with Bob Barrett, wonderful Bob Barrett, mm. who played Sasha Levy in the show. And we were chatting away one day and he, uh, near the beginning, and he said, um, so where, where's your family live? And I was like, oh, it's some tiny little village in Hampshire. And he was like, well, tell me, tell me where. And I was like, well, it's, it's just outside Winchester. And he's like, I know Winchester. And I went, okay, well, this is just a really tiny village. I mean, it's got a pub and a church and no street lighting. And, you know, it's, it's called Osselbury. And he just, his face dropped and he went, my mother and father-in-law live in Oslebury. <laughs> I was like, what? what? There's only about seven people that live there. And like my family know all of them or are all of them. Mm. <laughs> and it was just really bizarre. And I love those little moments where you just kind of go, what? That's yeah. crazy. So why, how in a little village like that, do you decide, well, I'm going to be an actor? Ah, uh, well, mm. it just kind of, there's no one in my family does what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm very much sort of, you know, the black sheep. Well, not the black sheep, but I well, just... Well, it's all right. They're farmers. They'll look after you. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's a farming metaphor in there. <laughs> I I just knew that I wanted to be in a big city. Now, I love the countryside, and I'm sure at some point I will be drawn back there. And I like to live near places where I've got an expanse of grass and trees to be around because I, I wouldn't cope living in somewhere like... I couldn't live in Soho or central London. I, I just couldn't do it mm. because... It's just too much, sort of a sensory overload for me. I like having somewhere I can go and be around trees and hear the birds and go, okay. It kind of soothes me. Mm. But I knew from an early age that I was like, no, I needed. Also, I guess being on the LGBTQ plus spectrum and being in a tiny little village where I was the only gay in the village at the time. um, You know, I knew I wanted to go and find my tribe. Yeah. I wanted to go and find my people. The only gay that you knew of. Well, yes, exactly. Well, yeah, the only, yeah, abso- absolutely. Um, and uh, and so I kind of knew that I I was sort of other in that way. Um, but that kind of coinciding with the fact that I just loved telling stories, and I loved doing silly voices or impersonating or doing accents, and and I just thought, God, I love doing this. 
and like Robin Williams being my biggest influence at that age, mm. the voices, the the impersonations, the to be able to just sort of embody someone completely differently. And, you know, that, that where you're talking about the hit scene with Harvey Fierstein in Mrs. Doubtfire, where he's just mm. around and is, you know, Barbara Streisand, or he's, you know, I feel like Gloria Swanson. Um, <laughs> you look like a mother. <laughs> I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And in order to do that, I was like, okay, well then there's only one place that is going to really be where I need to be, which is London. And to go and give it a go, because I knew if I didn't try to give it a go, then I'd always regret it. So did you study at Middlesex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, I was talking to a comedian the other day. I was at a party and it was um, Jen Brister. And she also went to Middlesex University, but she went at the same time that Alan Carr was there. Because I was chatting to Alan one day about going to university and he was like, oh, well, I went to Middlesex University. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, me too. And we both did the same stand-up comedy course, which uh, resulted in, it was a module that we did while there, where part of your grade is you do a 10-minute stand-up set. Uh, downstairs at the King's Head in Crouch End. Wow. You know, they pictures all on the wall of every major comedian that's performed there. And so that was part of it. Um, and I believe Russell Kane went there as well. So quite a few famous sort of comedian alumni for that. For that. Brilliant being thrown into it like that, I think. That's a good test. Yes. You know, if you can make oh, yeah. it through that, it's going to test you in, it's not just, will I be a stand-up comedian? It's, can I take the pressure? Absolutely. And you know what? I revisited it recently, just before Christmas. On the Thursday before Christmas, I organised sort of a little comedy festival-y moment at the Seven Dials Playhouse. And it was only, uh, there were three other acts and I compared. And I thought, you know what? I haven't done this in many, many years. And I thought, I'm going to give it a little go. Mm. I like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And I like doing things that I admire and of other people. And, and you know, there are two things that I, I have absolute kind of jealousy for. And that's the ability to stand on a stage and just sing a song sort of perfectly and capture the audience, but also to stand on that stage and make everyone fucking howl with laughter. Mm-hmm. Just watch somebody, especially those comedians who can do arenas, and they stand there in front of thousands of people and everyone is crying with laughter. And the, the gift that that is, mm. I mean, you know, that's sort of what I look for in, in partners and, and in friends is they've got to make me laugh and they've got to find me funny as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, you know, that's a bit shit if I'm constantly laughing at them and then I make a joke and they're like, yeah. Um, <laughs> you go, this is not going to work. No. Yeah, exactly. It's very one-sided, this. Um, My son-in-law until last summer, in fact, was a, a lecturer at Roehampton, where Dan was. Ah, oh, see, I used to love yeah. going down. I mean, it was a very, I look at it through rose-tinted glasses because I was, you know, earning kind of bar wages and, and mm. living sort of hand-to-mouth at that point. But it was a really gorgeous time um, thinking back and going down to the, I think it was called the Digby Bar with my friend Alison and I'd, I'd sometimes work a day shift. And then afterwards you could still smoke inside at that point. So it was like, you know, 2005, we'd all be sat around the table and it smelt like snake bite and, you know, cheap fags. And we'd just be there just like chatting away. And, you know, I kind of, at that point just felt very much like, you know, I had my whole life in front of me. I finished uni, I've done this, I've done that. And it was, it was that very kind of, Ooh, it's exciting. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? That I've got somewhere to live and tomorrow I'm going to earn another 30 pounds. Uh, what am I going to do yeah, with it all? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> of which I spent half of it already this evening. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Oh, lovely. <laughs> A lovely place to be. Right. Well, Indeed. I'm going to put Dan London in. Yes. Thank you. That's your first thing. Okay. That's my first thing. Lovely. Bless him. Let's move on to number two. Indeed. Okie dokie advert time. But don't go away as we'll be straight back. Cheers. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of My Time Capsule with the actor David Ames. Okay, let's discover what else he would like to put in his time capsule, shall we? Well, it seems churlish not to, having sat through the ads, doesn't it? So linked to what you were saying with regards to growing up in the middle of the countryside is Manan's Garden. Mm-hmm. Manan's Garden is a memory that I just, it's something I dream about a lot. And I think it's just due to the fact it was where I grew up. So my my mum had me at the age of 18. And unfortunately, the year before, my granddad had passed away. And my mum was one of eight Mm. And the youngest. And so I, for the first sort of four or five years of my life, grew up living at my nan's house with my mum and my auntie Di. Because mm. my auntie Di was only about a year and a half to two years older than my mum. So she was still there as well. So she was only about 20. And that garden was my world. Now, it happened to be a tiny farmer's cottage in the middle of nowhere, um, not far from where I am now um, with my family. The parameters of the garden were just woodland. There was woodland and fields for as far as you could see. And my nan had chickens and she had a goose called Gunther. (laughs) He used to chase her up the garden. Um, Any any kind of bird or animal that landed in the garden, she'd feed and end up keeping. A cat wandered in once. She never knew whose it was, but she started feeding and it kept coming back. So, you know, she's that kind of woman. (laughs) So it was a really magical place. And I know every inch of that garden like it's the back of my hand from from my memory of it. I'd mapped it out, you know, as a child you do and you know you know where the hiding places are. And my nan taught me to go and collect eggs and that you should always leave one egg there. Otherwise the hen will never lay there again because they'll think a fox has taken them. So they'll think it's unsafe, huh? you know? So all these little lessons I learn and, and going into the woods and chopping down sticks to make bows and arrows. And, and it was so idyllic, but I have dreams of it consistently. You know, every, every sort of couple of weeks there's I'm there again. Hmm. And I'm at the height I was when I lived there. Ah. That's what's really interesting is it's so seared in my memory that I remember kind of having to reach up to open the door. Mm. And it's just, it's it's clearly somewhere that I felt safe and I just loved. And it's so sort of part of me, um, you know, that kind of upbringing and, and being, you know, surrounded by nature. And, you know, in the morning, my mum would just open the door and I'd be outside all day until lunchtime. And then it's back and mm. have something to eat, back out you go. And So was your mum having to go and work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mum, bless her, she's worked countless different jobs all her life, <laughs> you know, um, as as my nan did as well. So yeah, my nan would uh, clean houses. So I was born in 83. So this was sort of, uh, yeah, mid 80s. We were, my nan would you know, occasionally go and wring the neck of a chicken um, that she had, you know, and I, I you know, watching from inside because I didn't really like it that much, you know, watching her having to do this and yeah. even down to like my nan making me go and pick mint from the garden to make mint sauce for a lamb roast. And so she taught me how to go and w- which leaves to pick. And then she would sort of help me make it and she would teach me to, you know, if I rub my hands on it and the smell of that still to this day reminds me of my nan sort of with her arms either side of me, tearing the leaves up and then adding some vinegar and some sugar and, you know, and making a mint sauce. And so it was so idyllic, you know, and I talked to some of my friends who grew up in London and stuff, (laughs) but it's just such a world away. You know, I've got friends who grew up in council estates in London and, Mm. and, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with either upbringing, but it's just the kind of the, the difference. Yes. Yeah, surrounded by fields and woods. Yeah. It, it feels as if the garden goes on forever, doesn't it? 
Exactly. And it did. I mean, we had this long avenue that ran from my nan's house all the way up to uh, what we called the shooting lodge. And it was this huge, great wooden um, sort of villa, basically, where all the local farmers would go. And then the fields sort of dipped down from underneath. So they'd all line up on one side and then they'd shoot the pheasants that they had mm-hmm. cornered around. And around the corner from there, there was a really old there was an area where there used to be a mansion and it actually used to belong to the royal family. And years ago, um, there used to be like royal shooting holidays down there and stuff like that. Like it just a little place, but it became so dilapidated that it just, they sort of knocked it all down, mm. but it was an area where we were never allowed to go. You know, it was a bit like in the Lion King, you know, the elephant's graveyard as kids, it was like, you'd never go over there <laughs> because it was a sort of huge, great big, like water sort of sewers almost in the ground and they were just covered over with an old bit of corrugated iron or something like that. And it was dangerous. Mm. So, you know, but it was always this forbidden area that we couldn't go to. Um, but yeah, I, I can't help but look back on that time and that house mm. um, and the memories there. And that's where my mum was raised and uh, where my nan's always said if she could go back and live there, um, that she would in a heartbeat. But it's just, it was too much for her. Oh, how lovely though. Yeah. What a lovely image. I love the idea of you dreaming about it and reaching up to open yeah. door handles it's it was home. it was so bizarre and I just kind of when I woke up I smiled to myself because I was like it's it's just so wonderful to have revisited it but at the height that I was and not you know because obviously I I we now I, I don't know who lives there now but I hadn't seen it at the height I'm at now mm-hmm. so my memory of it it was so seared in my mind the smells and um the taste of of going and helping my nan pick. She had a little orchard there and we'd pick apples and we'd make apple crumble. The smell of apple crumble will forever remind me of my nan's kitchen and her making crumble. And, you know, Mm. it was such a sort of sensory overload at the time. And I think that's why it's just massively imprinted on my mind. So you have no real sense of the actual size of it. You only have the sense of the size of it when you were that age. Exactly, which everything just felt enormous. I've Mm. walked past it now. And everything just looks so much smaller and a bit more twee and a bit more kind of toffee box kind of uh, place, you know. And to me at the time, it was palatial. It was it was enormous and it was these rolling fields. And actually it was, you know, an ample garden with a veg patch mm. and some chickens and, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's something I forever will smile about when I think. And, you know, just sort of little smells will remind me of there. Mm. It's, a, it's one of my favourite sort of memories. It's one of my go-tos. Mm. Yes, well, it makes me smile just to think of it. Oh, good. You can visualise these things even though you've never seen them. You describing it, I can picture you as a little child tottering out of this, into this safe world. And they obviously knew it was safe. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, it it was. It was, you know, I would be for hours out there climbing trees, making, putting hammocks in trees somewhere, making a den or, and then they'd just yell for me at the door and I'd come tottering back through the, you know, through from the woods having been out there trying to chop down sticks and... Oh, perfect. Yeah. But solitary. So you did your mother have any other children? She, yes, she had two others. So I had my brother Ashley and my brother Jonathan. Um, there's six years between me and Ashley and nine years between me and Jonathan. So that's why the first part of your life is just you, your nan and your mum. It was me, my nan, my mum and, your and my uncle Dime, mm. who I've always called mum number two, <laughs> which is quite sweet. And um, she loves that I call her that. And of course, as time goes on, your mum being only 18 years older than you, you must yeah. feel almost that you're catching her up. Do you know what? I love the fact that my mum and I don't have a huge gap in between us age-wise. I think it's allowed us to just have such a lovely rapport and relationship. And I, I really do. I'm I'm very, very blessed and lucky to have the family that I have um, and the enormous family. My nanny Pegs is incredible. And she, like I said, had eight children. She has 30 grandchildren. So I've got 29 other cousins and she now has about 28 great grandchildren and that's ever expanding. Wow. So it's an so enormous. You have to save for Christmas. Really fucking expensive. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Please, somebody cast me in a panto. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, I'm not around for Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Um, but it's quite incredible as well. And we all, you know, we don't live too far away. No one's ever ventured too far away. That's nice. And I've got friends that come back to mine for Christmas as well. And it's that very much all welcoming kind of family. Yeah. When I've had Christmases in London, I've had like what I call waifs and strays Christmases. So I've got friends who maybe don't have parents or small families or they can't get back. And I've just said, right, come to me. 
And then I just put on a big Christmas lunch and yeah. a bottle, bring whatever you want, and then <laughs> we'll sit around and get slowly pissed. <laughs> I wonder why people are pleased to see you at a bus stop. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Stood there with bags of food and wine. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> David. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're on everybody's set now. They know exactly where you are. <laughs> People all know. People all know. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, that goes in as your second thing then, David. Okay, number three. Number three, I am going to say my holiday to Thailand in 2014. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I had had a two-week holiday without my parents and without the worry of money because I had just started in Holby as a regular and I had requested the two weeks off for myself and my friend Dor. Well, his name's Andrew, but we call him Dor <laughs> because he had a penchant for wearing leopard print and lived in Essex. And so we called him Dorian Green, as in from Birds of a Feather. So, <laughs> so he's always been known as Dor. Now, he had just got a really good job as well. And we both just said to each other, we went, do you know what, for the first time, let's go. And rather than just a little weekend here and there, let's have a two-week holiday somewhere where we can just go and get really like that was further away than I've ever been going to Thailand, um, Southeast Asia. I'd always wanted to go to, and it was such a sort of big year for me. I had just turned 30. I was going through a breakup and I just needed to get away for a bit as well. Mm. And, you know, life was changing. I also physically, I was changing. I was, I was going to the gym a lot and I was, you know, there was, I, I just felt it was a very transitional year for me. And this holiday was just kind of like the cherry on the top for that. And I just, as soon as I arrived and Dora is one of those friends who I just absolutely love, but I can, I can spend prolonged periods of time with because we can both just sit there quite quietly reading or we'll sit and have an in-depth chat or we'll be talking absolute shit at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, sat outside some god-awful bar in Bangkok. So, you know, it, it, was, it was the whole package. And I just remember getting there and we went to this, <laughs> this awful hotel on the Khao San Road. But it was also wonderful as well. It was sort of walked in and it was this three-star um, thing, but it had a rooftop pool, mm. like a little tiki bar. And it was just so cheap. <laughs> we arrived and it was like, you know, a couple of baht for a beer and, you know, and, and we were just there going, this is amazing. And then we got in a tuk-tuk, went hurtling through the streets of Bangkok. And I was, I just remember just laughing and having this sense of, oh, it was this freedom and it was this enjoyment and laughing my ass off with a really dear friend on the back of basically what was like a moped with a park bench on the back. (laughs) (laughs) And you're hurtling through and, you know, you're holding on for dear life because they're taking corners effectively, like, you know, you're tilting over to one side and we're just like laughing through the nerves. Yeah, we just had the best time. And then we went to this uh, one of the other islands in Thailand called Koh Lanta, which was a more sort of chilled and relaxed time as opposed to the madness of the and the sensory overload of Bangkok and the bars mm. and restaurants. And we went to this little place on Koh Lanta. And I have to say, this, this one bar we went to, which was called The Drunken Sailors. <laughs> what attracted you to that? I know, I know, I don't know. It just it spoke to me on so many levels. Um, you know, two of my favourite things. And, um, <laughs> and um, this bar had only sort of two sides to it. And the rest was just like a canopy and it opened out to the woods and the, the jungle and whatever else. And one night we found a taxi um, service and said, can you pick us up in an hour? We want to go to this place. So a taxi arrived. Now the taxi was a pickup truck and you just had to sit in the back. <laughs> So it was very rustic and we were like, okay, but it was dusk. And as we were driving through these tiny little sort of narrow lanes in on Colanta, we went through this cloud of fireflies and it was just twinkling above us in this tropical heat. This, you know, as soon as you walked outside of your hotel room from the, from the air conditioning, you were sweating. Mm -hmm. So everything stank of sun cream and bug repellent and sweat. And, you know, (laughs) And I remember myself and Dor, and we had met up with my friend Stuart as well. And we were on the back of this truck and we were just in awe of this moment of just driving along in the back of this truck, smiling to ourselves. And then we got to the drunken sailors and you dine, but you sit in hammocks, hang from the beams and you sit in these hammocks just about that far away from the ground. And you have like a coffee table that they bring 
your Thai food out to and you just lay in there and they bring you your beers. And then once you've had your meal, you just stretch out in the hammock oh. and you just lay there. Like a Roman emperor. Exactly. <laughs> and then you just literally lay there and you listen to the bugs and the creatures around whilst having your beer, having filled yourself with the most amazing, beautiful Thai food. And you're just pleasantly full and and just for, for the effectively probably cost about six pounds. Yeah. You felt like you were a king and you oh. could just lay there. And it was just, it was a joyous time. It was a really... One of those kind of holidays you have and you just go, I just loved every second mm. and it's stuck with me forevermore. And it's it's one of those sort of happy memories where I just go, I'm there. And I just, yeah. yeah. And so many things have gone wrong since 2014. <laughs> <laughs> wow, exactly. We'll come back to that. In a uh, <laughs> but yeah, oh, what a fantastic thing. Yeah. I spent, I think I spent one day in Thailand. I must go back. Although I've got a friend who's in Singapore at the moment and uh, for his birthday. Ah. I said, what do you have for your birthday? He said, food poisoning. Oh, lovely. <laughs> lovely, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know quite a few people with delicate sort of sensibilities over in places like that. Mm. I've, I think, you know, I, I think growing up as I did, I've got quite a strong stomach for, for anything like that. I think I've got a good constitution in that way. It's a very good decision, I think, also, though, to realise, hang on a minute, for the first time in my life, I am in a position where I can go and not worry about this, not feel yes. the pressure of it. Actually, just let's yeah. go. It's two weeks. Let's go. Let's enjoy it while we can. Absolutely. And it was the, it was sort of, you know, one of the only times I've had that and just been able to switch off. And, you know, you're not you're not going, OK, shit, how much do we spend? So how much did I spend yesterday? And, you know, I just knew that I was OK to do this. And this holiday I was able to throw a little bit of money at and I was in a good position mm. and I was doing the job that I've always wanted to do. And I was with one of my dearest friends and I just thought, ah, life, life isn't so shit. No. And, you know, moments like that. Yeah, I just look back on with such fondness and I just think everyone has like one holiday, I think, where they just went, that was fucking brilliant. Yeah. And you'll always, you know, look back on it and go, yeah, God, if I could go back there and relive that one, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Although I understand that Andrew didn't want to go because when you said, where should we go? He said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you misunderstood. That's what I heard. I, absolutely. I <laughs> <laughs> then you said to him, Bangkok, and he went, oh, all right then. <laughs> and he went, oh, sounds like a good night out. Okay, yeah, boom, we're there. <laughs> oh, sorry, terrible cheap jokes. <laughs> oh, come on, it's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm very envious. That sounds absolutely fantastic. What a trip. Gorgeous. Yes. I wish I'd been with yeah. you. I would have been hanging off the back of that thing, roaring my heads off. Yes, it was, it was wonderful, just drunken nights and... Silly chats and sunsets and boat trips and, you know, uh, it just hilarious. Yeah, lovely. Brilliant. Okay, let's move on to your fourth thing. Now, you can either put in the thing that you want to get rid of or you can put in the other thing you'd like to keep. Ooh. So I'll do a quick one is is because I, I might I might have mostly been memories and things like that, but one is the music of Elton John. Oh. You know, good sense. Mm. Um it's been something that I've bonded with so many people in my life who I love. I've got friends who are massive fans of Elton John's music mm -hmm. and got me through some tough times with some of the songs and the lyrics. Um, it's something I have vivid memories of singing along to Benny and the Jets in the car with my mum as a kid. Mm. I know that my aunt, um, unfortunately, um, my auntie Sue uh, died back in 2010 from breast cancer. And I, my auntie Di has a really fond memory of listening to the Yellow Brick Road album with her. Uh, yeah. So it seems to kind of be, you know, his music has been there for their, um, for my aunts as well as for me. Mm. And it's been constant. And it just seems to, everyone just has a song that they love by Elton. And I, I was lucky enough to go and see him at Hyde, in Hyde Park last year. And I don't know, it's just been, his music has just sort of been a soundtrack to my life for as long as I can remember. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that actually when you think about it, you start listing the songs mm. and it's absurd. It's absurd that one man could write so many brilliant songs. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it is, it's incredible. It's, I mean, Bernie Taupin is just so hugely talented with the lyrics that he comes up with, but for Elton to just be able to go mm -hmm. and then just work it all out and... I find that both just fascinating and, and, and you know, awe-inspiring. Yeah. 
There's a fantastic clip of him on Parkinson. I don't know if you've ever seen it, where Parkinson says to him, you're famous for almost hearing the song the moment you look at the lyrics. And he, yeah. he said, yeah, I often do. I'll look at the lyrics. And he said, in fact, if I don't get a, a tune within about 10 minutes, I just go, I, 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 no, I'll give up on this. Unless it immediately speaks to me, Yeah, I don't do it. And he says to him, OK, right, well, look, I've written some lyrics. And he says, OK. And he gives him some lyrics on the piano and he says, what would you make of that? And Elton John looks at it for a moment. And then he sings this absolutely beautiful song with these ridiculous lyrics. I've not seen that. I'm going to have to find yeah, that out. Yeah, Google it. It's, oh, I would love that. It's amazing. And it just shows you that, well, you say you're not a religious man, neither am I, but it is almost God-given, that talent. Yes, it is. I believe we all have a, a talent like that. But sometimes I think people just don't discover them in their lifetime or, you know, they come to them very late. Or, um, But that, like I say, I think everyone... Everyone can sing an Elton John song straight through. Everyone knows the lyrics to at least one Elton John song. Mm-hmm. I believe everyone can be moved by one of his songs or, you know, Saturday night, all right, for a fight, like gets somebody up. It's, you know, it's at every kind of big event, I, th- I feel. Mm. And it's just been a constant. Yes, it goes right through my life. I mean, I'm in my 60s and yeah. it goes right through my life. So mm. as a teenager, a young teenager, yeah. uh, parties with friends at school, Saturday night's all right for fighting. And that was the yeah. dance that all the boys showed off in. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for me, I mean, I I kind of discovered his music. My mum had the Yellow Brick Road album and uh, like the greatest hits that had come out, I think, in the like early 90s. And then there was Lion King. And that was kind of how I kind of went, oh, I quite like the sound of this, this voice. Mm. And, you know. And I realised how many other songs I knew just through sitting in the back of my mum's Vauxhall Carlton, um, <laughs> listening to her putting tapes in. But yeah, it just seems to be something that my brothers and I, we've got very different music tastes. But that's one thing. that and that's why last year at Hyde Park, I said to my brothers and my friend Lindsay, if Elton tours, I will get us tickets. And I did. Because mm-hmm. as soon as I heard he was doing Hyde Park, I went, that's where we need to see him. That's what we're going to do. And it's something me and my brothers all bonded on. And we were like, oh, yeah, but come on, this is a classic, you know. Yeah. Like, Whereas my brothers listen to, you know, R&B, hip hop, grime, whatever else. But they also like a little bit of little bit of Elton thrown in there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Who doesn't like a bit of Elton thrown in? Yeah. Yeah. And what an extraordinary man as well. I mean, the yeah. amazing things he's done in his life. Oh. The enormous amount of money that he's given to charity. I mean, I know he's a Absolutely. very wealthy man, but even still, incredibly generous. Yeah, and the Elton John, his Ains Foundation yeah. and everything. I, th- I think it's just... He's just, he's quite an incredible person. And um, mm. I loved the film Rocket Man as well. I thought that was brilliant. It was a great film, wasn't it? Yes. Watching back through that film, you suddenly realise every time a song started, you thought, I know this song, I know this song intimately. Yeah. But you were yeah. surprised at how variable they are. Yeah. They're astonishing difference. And the one that I think that always surprises me the most of all the songs that he's written is Blue Eyes, which I just think it's a really beautiful song. It really is. It really is. I mean, yeah, I mean, I could list all of them. Um, one of my favourites, which I sort of, I've always liked, and then I, I was told what it was about, and is Someone Saved My Life Tonight. I just think it's such a beautiful song and very poignant because it was about him attempting suicide mm-hmm. and having a really low moment. And then just talking about, you know, you nearly had your hooks in me, didn't you, dear? Mm-hmm. Um, you nearly had me uh, something in Tide. All the while, sweet... Um, whispering in my ear and yeah it's, it's just really yeah, really yeah. just musically so stunning like just the way it's done but also lyrically I just thought it was just so gorgeous yeah one of my favorite albums is one of the least famous I think I really love the Captain Fantastic yes it's a, just a fantastic album I mean it, yeah. in the title there we are yeah <laughs> it is what it says yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh Melvin John you know it's a little bit funny it's not very funny no. Elton, it's not funny. Come on. No, I've not even laughed. Not. Come on. Come down off that roof. Stop kicking off the moss. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> what a great song. I remember seeing that on Top of the Pops when it first came out. Mm. And I think it was at that moment you thought, well, this man is going to be around forever. I think I kind of do think that. There are still people like Elton who, and Sir David Attenborough, who I think they need to be around forever. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no. Give, no. Them, give them infinity. Give them a life. Forever, because, yeah. you know, yeah. which coincidentally actually leads me on. Well, if you'd like to hear my last one for you. I would, indeed, yes. Let's move on to the final thing. The final thing. 
2016. Ah, I told you things went wrong after 2014. Absolutely. And that's why yeah. I said, let's bookmark that. 2016, what a load of shit. <laughs> we had Brexit. We got Donald Trump. We lost some of the greatest people in music. I'm a massive Prince fan as well as Elton John. And we also lost George Michael that year. We lost David Bowie that year. We lost so many incredible people. Mm. And it just seemed to be a year that every time you put the news on, something else was really shit. I mean, we've got used to that now, I think. (laughs) After 2020, we kind of expect it. It's just kind of a given. I've stopped watching the news, to be honest. Mm. But 2016 just seemed to be one of those years that, it was something after something after something and it was just like who's died now Uh, oh another massive cornerstone of music another huge name in movies and theater alan rickman died that year Um, victoria wood died that year and it was just like come on come on it it felt like it was just one of those years and i just think i'd like to put that in there (laughs) (laughs) it really was odd wasn't it you Mm. saw that this can't be going on there can't be more people And, and also it felt a bit like payback almost because you thought well 2012 was glorious olympics and all that sort of thing exactly even even at that time you know boris johnson was laughable and that was fine yeah you know he was mayor at that point wasn't he yeah mayor of london but you know didn't really have any great power no no was still very much a laughing stuff and continues to be but (laughs) (laughs) yeah god imagine going back to 2012 and just reliving that that wonderful moment of the olympics and everything and how everything just felt so Positive. Yeah. 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 It really did, didn't it? It really felt as if we were going somewhere special, I felt. It felt as if the world was actually beginning to sort itself out. Yes. And, and, you know, the UK just felt very like we were going in the right direction. And that huge ceremony at the beginning and and the acknowledgement to the NHS and all of that was just stunning. Mm. And then to just kind of, it feels like everything's kind of, Soured somewhat. Since. <laughs> I'd like to see that opening ceremony now with, with just people standing around with placards. Yes, exactly. And like that's kind of it. I, I just kind of feel that was that was such a beautiful moment. And then yeah, 2016 kind of happened. And since then it's just steadily gone like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're on a what, 17th Prime Minister or something like that now. <laughs> Most of them weren't elected. Uh, but And it just feels a little like everything seems to have gotten very grey and very cold and very nasty. And so yes. it felt like a real shift. It, it felt like there was a seismic shift that year. Yeah. I think maybe if we do, if we can put it in there and we can get rid of it, maybe it'll, yes. it'll right the wrongs. Yeah. I mean, I was in New York. I left New York about two days before Donald Trump won the election. And the 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 feeling over there was still like, you know, we think it's going to be Hillary and it's going to be fine. And we're all, mm-hmm. oh, you know, uh, you Brits having a bit of a shit time at the moment, you know, with Brexit and all that. And I was like, mm-hmm, you wait. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> then yes. all of a sudden it was like, it was like we both went, what the fuck has happened? <laughs> <laughs> I remember exactly that feeling. Obama to Trump and we then, you know, suddenly we were trying to leave Europe with no discernible deal of anything and, everything was seemingly just going to get a lot more expensive and depressing. Mm-hmm. Which it has. Which it has. <laughs> but we can fight it. We can, Indeed. We can Indeed. right the wrongs. We can make it better again. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it definitely felt like that was a year where I just went, oh, what now? What now? <laughs> <laughs> well, David, I think you're doing everybody a favour by putting that in there. I think so. I'm going to put it in a sealed compartment and we can all forget about it. It's gone. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's just get rid of it. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be gorgeous, would it, be able to go and see a, a Prince concert? Oh, Honestly, mm. or George Michael, or uh, the sadness of George Michael going on Christmas Day. I just think uh, it's something I'll never quite get over. You no. know, it's like, what? No. And Bowie going and, you know, and then that was the beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's sad, isn't it? Because you never quite know what's going on in people's lives. And then when things are no. revealed afterwards, you go, really? Oh, no, how awful. Yeah. Because if he'd come round to my house, I would have said, let's go to Thailand. Exactly. I know a, I know a bar on Koh Yes, I know a place called the Drunken Sailors. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I know what to do with them. <laughs> 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 Who cares? That's what we do. We cook. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, David, what a joy to spend time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Honestly, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, David Ames. Thanks a bunch for listening. I hope you had a pleasant time and learned something about David that perhaps you wouldn't have heard anywhere else. If you have, then we have lots more guests for you to listen to, which is easy if you subscribe to this podcast. We would also be most grateful if you'd rate us highly, obviously, and maybe even review the show. Yes, you have the power. Well, some power. You can also contact me or my time capsule on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I'm trying to get to grips with TikTok, but there are only so many hours in a day. Anyway, if you enjoy the theme tune written by Pass the Peas music, then do download or stream it on Spotify anytime you fancy. This was a cast-off production for Acast and was produced by John Fenton Stevens. And I did the talking bit. And that's our team, me and my highly talented son. So, compared with many other podcasts that have publicists, bookers, editors, tea makers and general hangers-on, we do pretty well, I think. Which means we owe an enormous thank you to you, from us, for your continued support and for the kind words on social media and various podcast providers. It's what keeps us going. That and the cocaine, obviously. I'll leave you with my latest joke, written as a result of my chat with Mark Simmons, which you may have heard. We sort of dared each other to see if we could take his texting joke any further. I came up with this. I couldn't remember if the cat in those children's stories was called Mig, M-I-G, or Mag, M-A-G. So I asked my wife, and she texted me a picture of a grey cat, and I thought, ah, M-O-G. M-O-G. Yeah, what do you reckon? Anyone with our small children who's never read the Mog series won't have the faintest idea what it's about, but I claim to be the first person to notice that the letters M, O and G sound a bit like emoji. Well, exactly like it, in fact. Come on, my jokes may not be funny, but they are nothing if not accurate. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 